it's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast. I am your host, John. This week's guest is Jay Pepito of the band End, formerly of Reign Supreme and was in Shai Halud at one point as well, as as many other people have been at this point. Um, this chat actually, though, was uh, supposed to just be included in last week's chat with Greg and Andrew of End as well. And what ended up happening was is Jay and I did this chat once before, and either due to some technical difficulties on my end or some issues with Jay's phone when we were doing the phoner, uh, just it, it didn't end up recording uh, somehow. Uh, and what little bit it got was really crackly from Jay's phone cutting in and out. But be that as it may, we got back on the phone and, and did another interview. And um, the funny thing about it was is it was only supposed to be, you know, a 10, 15 minute, maybe 20 minutes uh, long talking about the band, talking about uh, the recording of the project and, and all that kind of stuff. Basically the same questions I had asked Andrew and, and Greg, but asked for Jay and, you know, his involvement in the project. And then we just kind of started bullshitting about things in general. Uh, and then, you know, by the end of the whole thing, we were at about an hour and a lot of it was funny because, I mean, some of it talks about just the hardcore scene as a whole, uh, where it was, you know, when Jay was involved in the scene and kind of how I got into hardcore as a whole and things I've noticed from putting on shows and going to shows and the Internet being what it is and, and people just kind of commenting on shit. And it was just kind of a really interesting conversation that just happened. And I think that's kind of the fun thing about doing this podcast is sometimes I'll go into it with a specific set of questions in mind or I expected to go down a certain path uh, of just a conversation because I have certain things I wanted to hit like you know like I was saying I wanted to talk to everybody involved in end and kind of just ask the same handful of questions because at the time no music was out when I started this uh, and then upon actually sitting down with Jay Usurper had been released so we could talk about the song a little bit more and so on and so forth but like I said we ended up just kind of bullshitting for a little bit and Next thing I know, like I said, it's an hour gone by, and I just kind of felt like it would make it a full episode with Jay. Um, yes, it's it's heavily talking about end, uh, but on the flip side of that, it's also talking about hardcore music and metal and, you know, what two thirty 30-something dudes <laughs> uh, feel about it, uh, somewhat being removed from it, sort of, you know, it being the scene that we felt most comfortable being a part of growing up and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I thought it was really cool. There's some interesting stories about uh, Jay when he was touring with Reign Supreme and that I thought were funny and I'm going to keep them in. Um, so, I mean, we got a, a decent chat going with uh, this episode. Um, some other shit has been going on with me and I was debating on not talking about it, but... Uh, I think I want to start, like I said, adding some more of my own shit to this so people can kind of get an understanding of who I am and, and uh, what leads me to, you know, some of the experiences that I've had. And I have a feeling in some of the upcoming interviews I have that I'm doing with certain people, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to bring this up just because it's so heavily 
uh, weighing on my mind and just very prevalent uh, to what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis for the past week. Um, as of when I'm recording this, it is August 21st, which is a Monday. Uh, so as of this past Friday, it'll have been a full week since I was at work and I got a text from my mom saying that uh, my uncle was in the hospital, had a brain aneurysm. And it took the fucking wind right out of my sails. Uh, you know, as I'm approaching a thirty, as I'm approaching thirty-three, I, you know, live my own life. I'm married. I, you know, do my own shit, and I know inevitably family members are are, are going to pass away. Friends, you know. Just life is happening, and I think sometimes we get lost in our own shit to kind of see what's really important. And a lot of times, I I wouldn't say I put my family off, but unfortunately, just because now all of my cousins who, uh, to kind of put it in perspective, I my oldest, my youngest uh, uncle is only like maybe 12 or 14 years older than me, which is a lot, but it's not at the same time. And my youngest cousin, or the oldest cousin to me, is still, like, almost that same age difference. So I'm kind of in a weird spot where I'm not I'm not the adult, but I'm not the kids either. I've just kind of been this, this in-between for a long time. But most of my cousins now are out of high school, in college. One of my cousins is getting married in a handful of, in a, like, about a month or, or a couple of weeks or whatever it is. Um... So I think everyone's kind of starting to understand that as we get older and the kids get older that we have our own lives and it's just really hard to get together. And sometimes what works for a handful of people isn't what works for others. And living in, you know, about an hour, hour and a half away from everyone makes it a little bit harder uh, to try to maintain the family connection. Um, But getting that message for as much as sometimes I feel like you know like everyone does where family stuff is just kind of like man you're doing it on a sunday at like five o'clock in the afternoon and uh, you know i got the drive to and back and i have a dog and you know you come up with all these reasons why like you can put off seeing someone until the next time it isn't until you get a a text message or a phone call and thankfully i haven't gotten many of these but the handful that i've gotten uh have really resonated with me I carry those memories with me. I can tell you exactly where I was when my best friend died and I got the news. I can tell you where I was when I got the news my grandmother had passed away. I can tell you where I was when my when I got the text of this going on with my uncle. And the common thing of all of them is typically I'm always at work and usually I go away for a hot minute to kind of go break down more or less and kind of compose myself enough to figure out how I'm getting home Uh, because my wife and I share a vehicle. So she came and got me, and that was probably the slowest slash fastest drive to Kalamazoo uh, that I've had in a long time. And it's it's weird to think of your family and someone you've known for a long time and as, as I've kind of had this conversation with my dad and both my parents, actually, 
uh, and some of my other family since this event has happened, uh, I remember thinking to myself on the drive down how it's weird that we all have different versions of the same person. And it's not something I've thought of a lot. I will say I've been more cognizant of it since this this issue with my uncle. And, you know, he's a husband to my aunt. He is a father to my cousins. He is a brother to my dad and uh, his their siblings. He is, you know, an uncle to all of us. He's, you know, a brother-in-law. And, you know, he, he is so many people so many things to so many people and it's it's weird to think that someone can different people can have so many different perceptions of one person and, and they're all right and so you know just a lot of memories of my uncle came flooding back uh, on my fridge I have two pictures of when I came back to Michigan from Delaware uh, for a month and hung out with my aunt and uncle for a little bit and I remember going to Meyer, which is a chain of convenience or like a grocery store all in one like think of a walmart supercenter for those who don't live in michigan uh and that's pretty much what it is but back in the day in the early 90s it had a video rental store in it and i remember renting terminator 2 and seeing that for the first time um and just a lot of memories associated with with him and it's that sad thing you do where, you know, all of those memories come flooding back and you think about how great that person is and all the times you had. And sadly, the, the flip side of that is all I could think of was all the times I didn't spend with him and all the times that I do hang out with him. I don't really have anything worthwhile to say because uh, I, I don't know. I still feel the weirdness of, you know, being a 30 something around basically these adults who have always looked at me as a kid. Um. So it's been, it's been a rough, it was a rough day. And upon getting to the hospital, the doctor was there basically telling my aunt and the rest of us that he had a 3% chance of survival. And I just remember being in this tiny ass room and oddly thinking about Grey's Anatomy because in that show, with a lot of new characters and new doctors coming in, they always constantly talk about when someone has to give family bad news, how you have to be unattached, unemotional, stick to facts, don't offer false hope, so on and so forth. And I realized how hard that must be to be in a room full of indirectly strangers, side backstory. My, my aunt and my mom work for this hospital that my uncle was taken to. Uh, so it's not completely strangers uh, from the doctor's perspective. It's someone that's, you know, they know works for the, the company, works for the hospital. Um, but, I mean, it, I they were just throwing out a lot of information and not really saying anything. And it just felt like every word he was saying, he wasn't just coming right out and being like, and he's dead. It was just a lot of information that, you know, it... I know a lot of us were just waiting for that. Like the, we did this, we did this, we did this, this was happening. Well, then we did this and he's dead and he didn't make it or whatever set of words gives the same information, but it never came. And so we found out that he was still alive and apparently was given a 3% chance to make it just due to the severity of, of the aneurysms and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember 
I couldn't see my dad's face, but I remember seeing his hands and his feet or his shoes. And they weren't moving. And everybody that we call it the baby bounce, sort of, but uh, everyone in our family, and I'm doing it currently, like I'm not sitting still, I'm bouncing my legs, I'm moving my hands. Uh, my dad's hands and feet weren't moving. They were still. I remember looking across directly at my uncle, who couldn't make eye contact with anybody else. My aunt, who this is her husband, trying to figure out what's going on and if she needs to make, you know, a life altering decision. Um, I'm just kind of seeing how it affected everybody. And it's, it's really fucking weird that, you know, I'll have that memory because, you know, I kind of figured this was when time starts slowing down and you're just taking everything in because you know that the next set of words coming out of this dude's mouth are that this, you know, part of your family is no longer. And it never did. And then there was lots of long silences and crying and just trying to deal with it in the way that we all could. And some time went by and he was showing signs of improvement. And then a little bit more signs of improvement. And when my wife and I ended up leaving to come back home, we knew that he was good. The next few days was going to really be what determined how everything was going to be. But it's weird how, in light of this, you kind of start thinking about your own life. And something I was thinking about is, you know, like I said earlier, about how my uncle, you know, is so many things to so many people. Uh, with both of his kids basically being in college, one having moved away to go to college, um, I thought of something from a different perspective than I don't think I ever would have now being married for a handful of years and being with someone for uh, going on about eight years now. But, you know, my wife and I like to travel. We don't really want to have kids. Um, kind of want to be selfish sort of in that regard and, and just kind of live more of our own lives. And, you know, it is what it is. But I was thinking about how my aunt and my uncle are basically almost at this secondary part of their lives where they get to just be with each other and, and do things with just the two of them like it used to be before they had, you know, their kids. And this happens. And thinking about, like, just what I would do if that were to happen to me or, you know, thinking about, you know, if your significant other has a traumatic injury and you have to basically make the decision on pulling the plug or having them live the rest of their life however in whatever condition they are in you know how how do you come to that conclusion and you know whose whose choice is it is it the spouses is it the families do you come to a conclusion together separately like it's a lot of it's a lot of shit to be thinking about <sighs> thankfully over the last week uh everything has actually gotten really good um he's moving uh, all of his limbs everything um he isn't really eating a whole lot but i mean i kind of would expect that um but by all accounts everything is on pace to to more or less have a full recovery which is 
pretty shocking because, like I said, over a little over a week ago now, we were told that you know he had a three percent chance to live, and here we are over a week later, and he's still here. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't necessarily believe in a specific religion or a, a god or or any of that kind of stuff, and it gets kind of weird when people offer prayers and all that kind of stuff because i mean positivity is positivity and you know i definitely believe that positivity breeds positivity uh, but it gets kind of awkward when people um some in some instances literally uh pray with you for your your family um but it's been an interesting week um friends and and close ones have definitely helped me get through this this trying time um i don't mean to be a down downer about all this um but i just think in light of having gone through this and, and gone through this in a few different mediums between either losing like one of my close best friends or you know family uh i guess the perspective that I would like to offer in, in any of this is, uh, you know, don't ever, don't ever give up hope, uh, in, in the miracles happening. Um, maybe down the road, I'll kind of explain more of, of that and how it relates kind of to me personally. Um, but you know, going from 3% and not planning or expecting someone to make it and here they still are and doing a lot better. Uh, granted, everything can change in a moment, as we learned with this this thing happening as a whole. Um, but I guess that's kind of the the bigger takeaway for this for me, and and kind of where my head's been at for the last week now is just uh, really trying to maximize everything I can out of out of whatever it is I'm doing, because uh, we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and kind of thinking about legacy to a degree and, and just kind of being a good person as opposed to an, an asshole um so i guess it's all about the memory that you want to leave behind and family being very important and i know not everyone has you know or is close with their family or whatever that looks like um but the family whatever you call family whether it's your close friends whatever it is uh when times really get tough, it's it's always a great reminder that there's so many people that are a good support system for us to bounce things off of, to talk about, to, to get over the hard shit. Because, you know, this life isn't easy sometimes. So, yeah. So that's that's been my week. That's That's been where my head's been at. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people who have gone through this and then the opposite thing happened. The, the, their family member, loved one didn't pull through. Or maybe, you know, you are part of that 3% that my uncle is currently in. So with that being said, um, I'm going to kind of wrap this up, get into my chat with Jay, but tell your loved ones, anyone who means anything to you, tell them, tell them just that, that they mean something to you and that you love them and, all that, because uh, there's nothing worse than taking a trip to the hospital and thinking about all the things you never said or didn't say or should have said, the shoulda, woulda, coulda's uh, in your relationship with said person. 
uh, don't live your life with any of those regrets. Um, I definitely have some from a friend of mine that passed away, and I think about the last things I said to him not being worth a fucking shit of anything. And that was what I thought was more important than actually saying something of, of value. So that's, uh, that's where we will end this intro. Tell the people you love that you love them. And this is my chat with Jay Pepito of End. up can you hear me okay yes i can and i nice. can see everything is working this time awesome <laughs> it's amazing how technology works when you do it correctly yeah <laughs> uh well at least now the the song a song is out at this point now you've heard the band so that's cool yeah it's uh actually this week has been the first week i've gone to the gym so it's usually my uh start to cardio it's a good it's good for that i think it's a good it's a slow builder so it's really good to kind of get it going and then by the time it's uh song's done it's at a good a good point to uh feel aggressive and want to keep running at a little bit faster pace so there you go yeah <laughs> i it's funny my wife listens to like really i won't say cheesy things but like when i see the things that she's playing she's like oh i was listening to this song today at the gym and she shows me stuff and i'm like listening to lady gaga at the gym or like it's like it's fine but like none of that makes me want to like be aggressive and like pump weights and shit like that like i think if i were to do that i'd be like all right i'm gonna ride the bike very slowly today yeah uh, yeah my girlfriend has you know she's a total normal so she likes i don't even know what <laughs> but I, I know she really likes that fight song song and she listens to that when she works out and i just kind of giggle because i'm listening to like the most brutal shit like decapitated and she's getting her fight song on you know as i say i think the last today was mostly uh old lamb of god stuff and then uh i think the other day it was the new song by you guys and then blood has been shed and uh some comeback old comeback hit and some shit like that and i was just like yeah but it is oh. funny to watch other people and i'm like you... <laughs> people could hear what i was listening to they'd probably be like what the fuck's wrong with you <laughs> uh but anyway oh, yeah. so the, um, band yesterday they were not feeling it what was that and i tried showing a couple of my friends at work the new band yesterday you know i work at barber shop and everybody's very uh and they listen to like stuff that's on the radio so you can imagine that usurper <laughs> by end kind of uh <laughs> Threw a little bit of the bounce off. But. Do they feel? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question, I guess. Do, does everyone know that you were in like Reign Supreme and stuff like that? Like, do they know the kind of music in the band that you, bands you were in? Um, I mean, I think that most of the people who know me pretty well know about that stuff. But like, it's weird, you know. I haven't been actively playing music for like 
kind of a while now. Like the last time Rain was like a full time touring band was like 2009 or something like that. So almost 10 years of me not being, you know, like a road dog means that a lot of my life, my day to day friends and the people I interact with, we've never really talked about my past with music and how much I've played and, and all that stuff. We just kind of talk about other things. So, yeah, I, I'd say a lot of the people I talk to on a day-to-day basis don't really know about Reign Supreme. They don't know about Blacklist. They don't know any of that, any of that shit. What, what is the general consensus when people hear these things and know that it's that you like had hand in, in some of the vocals on some of those things and such and creating the music? Well, I can tell you a really funny story. And um, When I first started college, I was like, I was later to the party because I started, you know, my adulthood by pretty much playing music and waiting tables, and just kind of hanging out. And then uh, I decided to go to college when I was 28. So you now I'm 28. Most of the students are 18. They right. haven't really done too much of their lives. So, of course, your professors are like, so what did you do before college, you know? And I told a few of them, and it became this, like, this like viral sensation around Temple University because <laughs> you can, you can go on YouTube and watch me play right so like my yeah. professors would be like yo this mild mannered science student is up there screaming about how much he hates the world it's like kind of funny you know? <laughs> that's that's a very interesting I always find that like most most people in like that are vocalists for bands like that like a great example are you familiar with the band See You Next Tuesday or were yeah. you okay. So Fox is, uh, lives here in this state and is a friend of mine. And it's always funny to see Fox in an everyday normal setting where he's very quiet and very uh, soft-spoken. And then you see him get on stage and he just becomes a fucking animal. And you're like, where the fuck is all of that coming from? <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it's probably like that for me too. And for like, you know, my, my friends and family who've, who've seen me play. Because they, they know me. I'm like a pretty... I don't know, generally jovial, but like chill kind of person. So the bands that I've been are not really like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the tattoos also would incline people, people, cause that's the thing is like if people see me and I mean, I'm not to the level quite that you are, but I mean, like I got sleeves in my hands and part of my neck done and most of my upper body and such that people are just like, are you in a band? And it's like, no, were you, <laughs> I did it for like a summer and realized that it fucking sucks. <laughs> like I, I realized it was somehow sm- easier and smarter to book bands than it was to be in a band and have someone book shows for us uh, as weird as that is but yeah people don't realize that like outsiders in like the hardcore community are not aware of I mean even even insiders in the hardcore community like a lot of people are not aware of like how how shitty it kind of is to be in a band which is not to like which is not to, to sort of like um trivialize how great it is either right like we were like 20 year old kids getting to travel the country with our friends and like play our music like that that's that's amazing i'm not taking away from that but like yeah man it it is hard to do it like long term <laughs> like there's just there's no real money in it for the most part there's no consistency in it which is worse than the no money because if you're like <laughs> all right i'm i'm gonna make forty thousand dollars a year playing punk music it's well that's not bad right it's still a pretty like, not a lot Money, fine. It's like, well, this year I made six things. Yeah. This year I made ten things. Our bassist decided to get married and go travel Asia with his girlfriend. Next year, we might work for ten months out of the year. It's just so it's impossible to try to build a life. Like it's it's really hard. I guess that that wasn't for me. It's probably not really for a lot of the guys who are in end because they have other stuff going on. But 
I mean, I respect the bands that do it. I think they're really lucky. I would not be mad if, you know, Brooklyn 82 decided they needed uh, me to scream full-time for them. I'd be down, but... <laughs> I'm sure that apparently that comes with its own dramas, though, too. Uh, yeah, but I think at a certain point it's probably worth it. Like, I feel like once you're in that the ghost inside and bigger tier of being a band, like, the, the bullshit's probably worth it to know that you're going to be able to, like, buy a house someday by playing music. That's probably worth it. But I would say, like, the bands that are smaller than that, it it's probably worth it if it's, like, its own end for you. But I don't know, man. Someday I want to, like, not have to go play a basement show in Indianapolis to 20 kids. Like, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's all the time. You know what I mean? That reminds me, I, I don't know if I said this the last time we were talking, I housed the uh, Acquire House Show Tour here in Michigan when it came through. Yeah. And I still have to fix part of my basement because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but we had 130 paid people come into the, my basement, so sometimes That's basement fucking... shows are, are yeah. worth it and awesome. Actually, it's really funny. Uh, so, And this kind of will segue right into our conversation about the band and everything. So last night I went to go see Jesse Leach of Killswitch um, mm-hmm. do a DJ gig. Uh, here in town and i didn't know what to expect first and foremost um because i've never gone to one of those things because it (laughs) seems kind of cliche like a a money grab of sorts but there was maybe very much like your basement show playing to 20 people i would say and i'm being generous maybe there was 30 people there um and i know most of the most of those were given away for free uh through a thing that i contribute writing for and such so while I was there, though, it was interesting because the other two DJs all played like metal, hardcore, punk songs, including Jesse. And it was kind of interesting because it felt like something out of heavy metal parking lot where it's like <laughs> everyone's just in like congregated in small groups, drinking, headbanging, talking about like, you know, like my wife and I, like one dude was like scratch, like had a turntable and scratching along to some of the records that he's playing. And I was like, this feels really like new metal at this point. Yeah, And so, like, there was some stuff that was being played, you know, like Static X got played and stuff like that. I was like, man, I remember when this record came out when I was in high school and blah, 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 blah. And there was a lot of those kind of conversations of nostalgia and just remembering, you know, what metal and hardcore has kind of how, – how it's been a part of our lives, like, for so long and, and kind of shaped who we became as people. And even though we may not be friends per se, we all bond over this love of the riff or this song or whatever – yeah, And I'm not saying you can't do that with like pop music or anything else, but I feel like there's just a special kinship with heavier, aggressive music that people who don't even know each other can just kind of latch on and become like kind of instant friends over the bond of, of those songs. And it was kind of what Jesse was talking about throughout the night of, you know, like these are the songs that shape me as a person and metal and hardcore and punk have shaped who I've, who I've become over these, you know, last 20 some odd years since I found it. And it's, you know, supported me in a financial realm now. And so forth that it's it's just interesting to kind of think that that's that even though people assume that it's a fringe genre that it's still actually you know i feel like it's more of a community and more and literally more of a scene than just about anything that's ever existed in the, the music world honestly well yeah i mean you know an example of that might be that people are always mind blown when i tell them that i lived off the money my my band made and that uh well I shouldn't say lived. I existed, (laughs) like very briefly, right? Like the guys in my band were able to not really work. Like we were just touring and like able to make enough on tour that we could like go home and 
eat Chick-fil-A or whatever. So um, we we were able to do that. And that was like mind blowing to a lot of my friends back home. They, they'd be like, where are you playing? Are you playing like a bar in Asbury Park or something like that? And I'd be like, no, we have a European tour. <laughs> it's like, like that's mind blowing. And that, that can only exist because of that community that you're talking about. Like there's a built in, like if people see like, especially for end, like band with guys from counterparts, we know there are going to be X amount of kids who are going to come see us when we play your town because they, they like the other band they associate with it. And that is a community thing for better, or for worse. I would also say though, that, you know, sometimes people who really don't have a lot going on with themselves and I think happen to have pretty low self-worth, like they tend to grab that really, really, really tightly and they sort of hold it to themselves as this thing to hold over other people. And so the antithesis of what you experienced might be something like one of these parkour festivals where you go and it's literally a bunch of 16-year-old dorks who've never heard Life Squad but pretend that they have, who've never <laughs> contributed anything to punk rock, who've never had to drive to go to shows, who've never had to talk to old timers or have rat bones throw up on their shoes. They've just gone on the internet and read about it and somehow they think that this is the community, this is it. And maybe for them it is and I'm not going to hate on that because it was like that for me too but it's that that sort of elitist thing that comes with community that's problematic in our community. And that's something that I'll never tolerate. I'll call it out when I see it. I fucking hate it because that kind of ruined hardcore punk for me for a long time. And I don't want to see other people experience that. I'd rather they experience what you did, which is this sort of like, hey, we're all together. We're experiencing this thing together. Nobody's above anyone else. Let's just all be. Um, but I think when that happens, it's really special. I just wish it was a little more frequent. I also don't know how much of it is just the sheer fact of, I mean, like a, a really great broad spectrum of it for like a landing point for me was like, I see a festival like this is hardcore festival mm -hmm. and I see like how energetic everyone is like throughout the entire day for like sweet bands like Jesus Peace or Code Orange or, you know, Terror or any of these like other new and like it's basically new and old school thrown together and it somehow works perfectly and you have like people who are my age, a little bit older you know, 30s, maybe close to 40, who make it, like, the annual trip. But then you see a, a slew of younger kids who are, like, supporting the newer bands and out there and, like, falling in love with, like, some of these newer bands. Like, case in point, when I went to Warp Tour and they were young kids that were, like, have heard of Sick of It All but have never seen them or know who they are. And, sure. you know, it's, like, that's a band that's been around for, like, what, 35 years? And, you know, considered hardcore pioneers. And so it's kind of one of those things like i don't know if kids watch it just to be like oh it's that band and, and you know whatever maybe they're cool maybe they're not but at least like i feel like kids nowadays are like wanting to see some of these older bands and giving the props to where like where they're due and sometimes i feel like when you see when you go to some of these newer shows it's just about like being an asshole and crowd killing and shit like that and it's like that like you i keep seeing more posts about like girls getting like facial fractures and shit going to these shows because of some douchebag or multiple douchebags and it's like that's not what, you know, that scene's supposed to be or what it's about. And I feel like that's becoming more of the, at least that's being more reported. So it's kind of more of sure. the focus at this point. And that's kind of a shame at this, to me. Well, I think there's, there's a couple aspects to that, right? There's the aspect that you just spoke of about, like, it's being reported more. Like, the internet has fundamentally changed the way we police our own community. Like, if you don't know that that's happening because you've gotten a message board to hear about it through, then you don't really suspect that it's a problem, right? But now that we know that it is a problem, 
<laughs> surprising how little has actually been done to do anything about it, but yeah. so be it, man. I get it. I don't really want to get jumped by a bunch of 20-year-olds with face tattoos either. Like That doesn't <laughs> sound super great, but no. you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Just step further back. <laughs> that's, that's about all you can do, right? Yeah. Um, so now actually going into the point of the whole conversation, I've just had a lot of like weird shit happen in the last like week that I've been kind of aware of, uh, that's kind of been interesting related kind of to, to end and kind of, cause you know, a band like end to me, even though it's made up of, as I, as I keep saying, when I show the band to people, or I talk about the band with people, I go, the pedigree of this band is just phenomenal. Like you can't knock the talent that's in this band. Uh, so Thank even you. if you were like not interested at all, you're like, no, this isn't really my thing. It's like, well, you know, someone from Counterparts, someone from, you know, Will from Thy Art is Murdered, so, and Will produced it, so you know it's going to sound fucking great. Like, just everything about the individual pieces and as that makes the whole, how would you not be excited about this? And someone, like I said, that's, you know, been into heavy music for going on, like, 20 years now, it's like, it. sometimes I feel like I'm too old to, to be into this, and, like, I, I there's not any bands that speak to me or get me excited but then, you know, I find a band like Code Orange or I find, a, you know, a band like you guys and it gets me excited and reminds me of why I fucking love heavy music because it makes me feel something right away. It's very visceral sure. right away. Yeah. So with with that, how did you come to be in this band and what were some of the expectations maybe you had going into it? I, man, you know, I wish I kind of cataloged the, the creation of the band a little better. So I'm just going to do my best to recollect it. But basically, as far as I remember, what happened was in between classes, maybe last year, uh, I was finishing my master's and I was checking my phone. You know what? I specifically remember this now. Will, Will had talked to me a little bit about doing a band. Like he wanted to do something heavy with a couple different guys from a couple different bands. I'm really glad you didn't use the term super group, by the way. Every no. time I see that word, I'm just like, yo, kill me. Kill me right now. That's but it, I mean, that's, that's just become the catalyst for whenever you have people from recognized bands. It can't ever be its own thing, and it has to be a super group. I get it, but I have a really hard time referring to anything that, that I do as super. <laughs> like, that just seems inherently douchey. But um, anyway, so I specifically remember this was at a point where I was really completely uninterested in playing music. I was playing bass in a pop punk band called golden age with a couple friends from around where I live, the Jersey shore. And, um, you know, we were doing some shows on the weekends. We were trying to write an LP doing all this stuff and it was fun, but I was like thoroughly uninterested in playing heavy music, uh, outside of maybe doing a project here or there. Uh, so I remember I went to the bathroom in between one of my, my classes and I had like these three videos from Will uh, that popped up in my like messages. So I looked at him and I just listened to the riffs that he was playing. And I was like, fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. So that was the start of it. I was like, yo, this is really fucking good. Like this reminds me of the stuff that I wanted Rain Supreme to do if we were to do another LP, um, which we won't. But if we were going to, like this is kind of the direction I wanted to go in, like more over the top, aggressively heavy, trying to kind of marry all of the things that we love about late 90s hardcore, um, the best elements of like death metal and D beat stuff with like over the top aggression, just like ridiculous delivery. So I was like, fuck, this is sweet. And then um, I kept pressuring him just being like, well, come on, when are we going to do this? When are you going to get these guys together? Who's going to play this? Who's going to do that? And then, yeah, last summer it just kind of came together. He was just sort of like, Hey man, all these guys are going to be in town at this date. 
let's just block off a week. We'll all go to the studio. We'll hang out and we'll track this thing. And that's what happened. Now, I know from talking with Greg and Andrew um, that Will and Greg brought a handful of songs each to to the band. What was it like? Because I always think it's interesting that when a band gets put together, in, in most cases, uh, it's usually a handful of guys getting together in a room. You write some riffs, you kind of jam them out, form songs, and they kind of happen organically. Mm-hmm. At least with Usurper and from kind of the, the vibe that I've gotten from talking to everybody about the rest of the recording, it seems that it was a very organic process done in a very unorganic way. Uh, as yep. far as, like you said, you only had about a week to, to write, record, and be done with everything. So everything kind of was done the way most bands typically do, such, such I would imagine, which is file sharing and, and kind of learning your parts. But how was it writing the record through file sharing and then, you know, getting together in a room and working on your parts, you know, in person with people and, and kind of getting the music laid down? Well, I'm going to correct you a little bit on that. There was no file sharing. Okay. Um, at least not to my knowledge. Maybe between Will and Greg, they were they were like sending stuff back and forth. Maybe with Brendan, maybe with Mac. I'm not sure. But on my end, at least, maybe they just left me out of it. Uh, on my end, at least, it was I had heard the songs roughly and then showed up and we started jamming them in like Will's rehearsal room and then tracked them. So it was like, it was a very, very organic process. It was like they brought these songs and they were like, hey, here's this song. Let me show you, blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, okay, what if we did this here? What if I did this? What if the bass did this instead of that? What if we added this extra completely dissonant part for no fucking reason? What if we slowed (laughs) this part? You know, it was just like it was a very – like we all kind of pushed it. But it was basically Will and Greg brought these skeletons and then we we populated the skeletons and made bodies out of them, kind of. You know what I mean? Like they they really wrote the bones of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we added some stuff. But for the most part, it was mostly those guys. And you'll you'll hear too, like probably because like I was on the inside of it, I can discern a little bit more who wrote what. But like there's a little bit of a different stylist to it. Like Greg's writing for this record really reminds me of like the Miz Sig stuff a little bit and wills has a little bit more of like a converge feel to it so right. you can kind of if you listen to the songs you can be like this sounds like a greg part this sounds like a will part um and then some of them are completely nonsensical and that was like me or brendan or Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what's actually interesting about you saying that will and greg kind of have they complement each other but they have yeah. unique styles What's interesting, though, is that with Greg, on the episode I just put out with him a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about how he likes to sit down with people and kind of figure out, like, their inspirations and kind of go back through listening to different bands and and the production and such and figure out, like, okay, this is why, like, you like to play these kind of chorus riffs or this is why you choose these kind of phrasings and such. Uh, By chance, did he do that with any of you guys to kind of get a better feel for for everything or was there really just no time to do that and it was kind of like everyone kind of knows the the base influences or whatever and just kind of hammer out your parts and go yeah i don't think we really did that i mean i he he might have done that with will a little bit because like i said those guys spent a little more time like writing the song together than we did like the rest of us just kind of like showed up and learned parts and, and and did our things but um i think I really like that as like a conceptual idea. Like I can see if, if we did that again, I could see wanting to listen to like, okay, like this part was definitely inspired by turmoil. Listen to the part. Okay, cool. That makes sense now. Now I can play it this way. Like I, I get that as an approach that makes more sense. Like 
you know, the, the early blacklist and Reign Supreme stuff was like really, really like my writing back then was very heavily influenced by like Madball. Mm -hmm. Um, so like if you were trying to play drums or bass in the band at that point, you had to listen to Madball to know how to play the songs. Like you, if you tried playing like the more flashy drum stuff to the stuff that I was writing, it was like, no man, that's, that's not how those guys play. That's not the style. You know, you can't combine like some crazy fucking, um, you know, Ben Pollard drum stuff with like, I mean, you could, it'd probably be cool, but like <laughs> that wasn't what we were going for. So I like that as an approach. And I think probably I would want to do that uh, for the LP, but this was just a little bit more like, Hey, let's, let's record this thing. Honestly, man, there was also an element of like, let's, let's track this record. There wasn't really like a lot of thought about let's track this record and let's see what happens with the LP. It was more or less just like, let's record this thing. Let's put it out and let's just see what happens. I think like we kind of thought, we would track it. Maybe somebody would put it out on vinyl. We might play like a fest or two and that would kind of be it. So I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what's happening. You know, we have to work around everybody's band and recording schedules and stuff. So we're just kind of seeing what happens, but I, I like that idea as an approach for the LPA. Maybe I'll have to pass that on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was just kind of an interesting thing as, as Greg was talking about something he does with the production and, and kind of doing that, like the misery signals album that he worked on. You know, he was talking about like, okay, to Ryan, like, oh, what were you like when you were doing a Malice? Like, what were you listening to? Oh, you were probably listening to like Hum and you know certain bands. And then I would go back and listen to those things and kind of figure out like, you know, what they were taking from that and so forth. So it was kind of an, like you said, an interesting, interesting approach. And I wasn't sure if he brought any of that to this recording process, but with having two producers, uh, it would be kind of interesting to see how how that was for you maybe like having you know will who does production on his own and then greg obviously who does his own thing i feel like it'd be very intimidating <laughs> to have two producers like potentially in a room with you while you're tracking <laughs> unplug my headphones for a second there. um yeah i mean i think i've recorded with will so much that for me it's it's second nature like will's a good friend of mine if he if he's in my neck of the woods, we have lunch. If I'm in his, we have lunch. You know, he was at my wedding. Like, he's he's my buddy. So recording parts with Will for me is not intimidating. It's it's not even, it's not even like, work. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I, I basically feel as though I'm just sitting there with, like a, like, a bass and a full mug of tea hanging out with my buddy, <laughs> and we're just, like, making fun of the world and just, like, trying to, like, nail some riffs. It's not... I don't know. It's it's a very, it's kind of like, it's fun, but it's kind of a bland process for me. It's just like sitting there doing this thing. There isn't a lot of like, all right, like this guy, Greg, I don't, I don't really know that well. And I'm getting to know is there watching and like Brendan from counterparts. Oh shit. I have to impress him. There really was none of that. It was more just like, yo, let's all hang out. Yo, Jay tracker bass, Jay's done with bass. All right, let's do this. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, I think we, we all have just done this so much that it was really exciting and fun without any of the weird pressure attached that usually is to new bands. Like, I guess we're all just so used to doing it. We were just kind of like, okay, let's go record this record. I'll learn this part. Let's do this. Now let's order pizza. Okay. <laughs> it was just like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. fun, but it, there was no real, there was no real shit to it. It was, it was, it was cool. It was just straightforward, easy, and a lot of creative energy. And at the end, you know what I can say about the record, which is really like an interesting thing. What's that? At at the end of recording a record, you're usually like, "Yo, I never want to record again. <laughs> I I am fucking like I need a vacation. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. 
that didn't happen with this. And I'm not saying that didn't happen for anybody else in the band. Like maybe it did, but I noticed that at the end of it, I felt like creatively stimulated, like, wow, like I'm so excited to be playing these songs with these dudes. And that was like new. Like I, I love being in Reign Supreme. I will defend that band to my death. I, I love the guys in it. I thought we put out consistently good records. Blacklisted when I was in it, I was very proud of like all that, but this, this record felt different. It just felt very, it didn't feel like I had to put out more of myself than I was good with. It just felt like I contributed. We recorded the parts. And then when we were done, we were like, fuck, I can't wait to finish this. This is sweet. It wasn't like we got to get this done because the label wants this out for this date so we can make sure that we have new vinyl for our comeback kid tour. There was none of that. you know. Right. Speaking kind of to the no pressure from a label or anything like that, with you guys recording this the way you did, it was a very DIY kind of vibe to it from what I've gathered anyway. Like, yes, you have a label. Uh, good fight. I think it's at this point it's on your Facebook like that's been announced. Um, so, I mean, at this point, you more or less have been sitting on a record for a year. How hard is it to keep it a secret, <laughs> especially when, like, like I said, the pedigree of the band, it's like in this day and age of oversaturation of a rollout of introducing a new band or quote unquote, a super group. Uh, and for those who couldn't see my fingers, um, <laughs> <laughs> but in this day and age, like where the, you know, you have a promotional single, then you have your first single and then you have the pre-order single and then an extra B side or whatever to, you know, push the, you know, the, the pre-sale package. It's gotta be nice to just kind of do this in such a way that there's the pressure of, of unveiling the band is, is is not there like you get to basically it sounds like doing this band you get to do all the fun parts of being in a band with most of the bullshit not being attached to it at all yeah i mean that's that that's a good way of summing it up right like <laughs> that that's basically what happened and like yeah i mean we we at first didn't really know who was going to put the record out because there were a couple labels that were interested and there were a couple labels that we like, I liked some of the other labels that were in the running. For me, Good Fight was always the number one pick. Um, I always liked Ferret as a record label. Like, yep. Not necessarily everything that they put out, but I thought that they consistently put out good records, and everyone that I knew who was on Ferret was very pleased with the way it was treated, with, with all that stuff. And so, for me, it was kind of like, well, I'd always wanted to work with these guys, you know? None of my other bands had ever been... Uh, you know, contacted by them to do anything. So this, this could be potentially cool. Um, and we ended up going with them, I think for a variety of reasons, but one of them was definitely just that like they're New Jersey guys, me and Will are definitely New Jersey guys. And they're very easy to work with. They get us. Um, Will's worked with them a lot and he knows them. It just felt like the right move. So that was really nice because we didn't have some crazy, like, some crazy shit to go through to get our music um, put out by like a reasonably decent label. We just kind of, it was, it was turnkey, man. It was like, let's record this record. Let's see what happens with it. Oh, cool. This awesome label wants to work with us. I guess <laughs> let's do that. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that was like so nice for so many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons that it was like particularly nice was it allowed us to just focus on doing the record, letting that get finished kind of living our lives. I mean, you know, when you first launch a band, you spend so much time trying to build the band. It's like a small business. It's like your baby. Yeah. And I will say it was really quiet. It was really hard to stay quiet about it and keep it to myself only because <laughs> I was so excited about it. Like 
the guys from Advent came up here a few months ago and I went to see them play. So we were hanging out and I played them the record and they were just like, fuck, this is awesome. I'm so excited for you. And that was really, really cool. And they were the only guys I'd really shown it to other than maybe the guys in my band and my girlfriend who was not stoked to hear it. <laughs> but it was, it was hard to keep that quiet, mostly because I knew that a lot of my friends would dig it and I wanted to share it with them. That was the hardest part about it. It's just like one of those things you're so excited to get out there and just be like, hey, like we did this sick thing that we're really proud of. I think you might like it too. That was that was the hardest thing to keep quiet. Um, but it's, I don't know, I guess it's done now. I think we're going to announce some more shit pretty soon. And I think Friday is technically what I've been told. The pre-order and all that shit, I guess, is potentially coming out in a new song. That's what I've heard too. I don't, I don't know exact details on it, but I think... I think yeah, and then we'll we'll put up some merch and other shit. I'm sure. A mix. Uh, well, since we <laughs> full disclosure, we tried doing this once before, and I, apparently I fucked up. <laughs> so <laughs> we're we're doing it again. But I actually think we're able to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff going on uh, that will be cool when this rolls out to uh, to talk like kind of have some more information on it. So with on Usurper actually coming out, what is because at the time last time I talked to you, only the teaser of the song was out. Uh, and there was quite a, a bit of hype around it, but now that a full song has been released, what is uh, what has been the reaction that you guys have noticed? And is it on par with what you were expecting, or was are you more blown away that you know the strong reception it's gotten so far? Well, there's some good news, bad news there. Um, the bad news is that Max Cavalera hasn't hasn't personally contacted me to thank me for putting the record out yet, so. <laughs> Until that happens, I'm not going to be pleased. Additionally, someone on Lamgoat commented, no one asked for this. Which was, <laughs> <laughs> which was my favorite, personally my favorite one. Other than, of course, the, the requisite counter farts uh, post, which was also my favorite one. But um, I, I'm going to say overwhelmingly the response has been really positive. I think what, from what I've like read on different message boards and um, you know social media commentary is that a lot of people saw the lineup and were kind of curious and just checked it out and were like, I think pleasantly surprised at how different it was from what they probably would expect. Like if you heard dude from counterparts, dude from rain Supreme fit for an autopsy structures, misery signals, shy Halud, whatever, which by the way, I was also briefly in shy Halud, So let's just make sure the record is clear on that. Um, the, I think that you probably wouldn't have expected what we put out, or maybe you would, but I, I feel like it's very different from counterparts, very different from structures, pretty different from all the other bands too. So like, I think people have been pleasantly surprised and I think it feels to them enough, like a new different sort of band that it's interesting in its own way. And I just think people are probably pretty stoked on how heavy it is and how sort of like unapologetic it is about just being, over the top, unforgivingly heavy and just sort of like doing what it is. That's been really, really cool to see. Um, a lot of my friends who I had hoped would like it have like, you know, messaged me and just been like, dude, I'm so stoked on this. It's like really heavy. Can't wait for the rest of the record. Um, I'm a, a pretty avid, I guess, weightlifter and um, <laughs> sometimes distance athlete too, depending on how worn down I am. But um, <laughs> thank you. But um a lot of my friends from like those communities have had a really strong response to it too. And that's really cool because, you know, when you spend a lot of your life really interested in something like lifting weights and a bunch of the dudes that you think 
have a good handle on that and you're kind of cool with and you kind of admire and respect are messaging you and just being like, yo, your record uh, made me, you know, hit a new deadlift PR or whatever the case is. You know, that song's so great. I can't wait to lift to it more, like whatever. Like that's really special and rewarding in its own kind of different way. And that's been really like kind of fun and nice for me. I'll be honest. That's, that's one of the better, you know, rewards you can get, I think. Well, un unbeknownst to me, me, me telling you about me using it to work out, I guess, was a, a compliment before I even knew it was. <laughs> yeah, for sure it is. I mean, I spend a lot of my energy and time um, exercising because it's just so important to me. It's like a really key component of who I am. And so when I meet other people who have, who, who have that in them and, you know, finding out that my music is like a, playing a small part in that for them, it's... It's really cool, man, and I think that's one of the coolest things about this band is that I think it's something that, and actually, I will admit that I have done. I have worked out to our records, so that's kind of that's kind of a cool thing for for me personally. I dig that a lot. Well, um, kind of wrap this up because it sounds like you're kind of doing some other stuff that you need to get to. Um, I'm just a Wawa getting coffee. Oh my god, you don't know this, but I have a Wawa tattoo. <laughs> You have a Wawa tattoo? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I'll send it to you when we're done talking. Uh, yeah, I'll have to see it. I'm, yeah, I'm from Delaware originally, so... Are you really? Yeah. Huh. Um, fuck, I miss Wawa so much. Uh, actually, yeah, it's there, the was, there was a dude last night at the show, and this is more indicative of what happens here in Michigan. People, usually old people, will come up to me super fucking stoked, <laughs> and then they're like, is that Wawa, like Wawa Canada on, in Ontario? And I go, no. And they're oh. like, oh, well, the goose. And I'm like, no, that's, that's Wawa. And they're like, what, what is it? And I go, it's a chain of convenience stores out on the East Coast where I'm from. And they're like, oh, oh okay. And they're <laughs> oh, like, cool, man. You yeah. Got that tattooed on you, huh? Yeah. Nice, nice job. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're usually just like, oh, it's uh, okay. And they're like, well, you ever been? And I'm like, I've never been to Canada at all or Wawa Canada. And from what I gather, all I hear is that there's fucking geese and fishing and not much else. And the population is like maybe less than like 2,000 people. So I don't feel like I ever have the need to go. But <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. And then uh, yeah. a friend of mine got me a Wawa hoodie once. I still wear on occasion. And my wife wore it when we were going to a show many years ago. And she didn't hadn't been to one yet at the time. And some dude comes up. He's like, yeah. Fuck sheets, and she just looks at me, and I was like, "Sheets is the competition." She goes, "I can't wear this." <laughs> I took it off, and I was this like, "I was like, it, uh, wearing wearing Wawa branded stuff uh, comes with a bit of a responsibility." It really does, man. I mean, that Wawa sheets beef is like pretty. Ridiculous. It's real. It's so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, dude, I go to Wawa literally every single day. Like. Every day of my life as a human being, I have stopped at a Wawa because they're they're fucking all like yeah I so know I live, at, I live at like the Jersey Shore and like there it's it's dude it's hysterical you'll drive down the highway and within like one or two miles you will see three or four Wawas they're just fucking everywhere here um like more than I see them in Pennsylvania oh Dunkin' just, Donuts runs Pennsylvania we just went out to Boston and uh, I know it's Massachusetts but we went out to Boston yeah. and then Rhode Island and then went to Hartford. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought I would be able to find a fucking Wawa. Oh, no. no. It was like, you know, like, if you look up pedophiles on, like, the internet and just, like, the fucking yep. red dots, like, that's what Dunkin' Donuts was like out there. It was like, oh, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, across the street is a Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my God, over there, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. It's like, 
fuck, man, like, can I get one Wawa? And, like, I kept hitting up, like, friends that lived in, like, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. I was like, will I find a Wawa? And they're like, nah, man, the closest one's, like, five hours away. And I'm like, dude, fuck that. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I almost people, thought, about, thought about trying like, to go. <laughs> New Englanders, for some reason, love Dunkin' Donuts, but fuck I gotta yeah, tell do. you, I, I don't get it. I, like... Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you basically have to put milk and sugar in. Otherwise, it tastes like you're drinking motor oil. It's fucking <laughs> gross. Like, it's disgusting. And maybe I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. I'm not saying that Wawa's great coffee. I think it's, but it's good for what it is. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. It's good for what it is. And I can say that. Like, when you've driven all over the fucking country and been desperate for coffee at 6 in the morning in, like, Arkansas, and you pull over at some fucking place and you just have you you know that you're about to get a shit cup of coffee but whatever it is what it is you just can't wait to find a fucking starbucks even though you hate starbucks <laughs> because you've been drinking bullshit gas station coffee for fucking four states like you know while while you start to kind of realize it's not, not so bad <laughs> dude plus i mean the weird thing is out here uh i mean if you've done any midwest traveling or at least michigan you've been to a mire or have seen one we have been to mire yeah actually i'll tell you a funny story for a long time, Rain Supreme was really into shoplifting. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the statute of limitations has expired on that, so I feel comfortable talking about it. But that's a weird thing. To admit. <laughs> we in were in our thing was shoplifting. <laughs> yeah, I so I got caught pretty early. I was at a gas station, I think outside of Pittsburgh, and I was shoplifting a chocolate milk, and the proprietor of the gas station <laughs> caught me. And she goes, don't ever come back here or I'll call the cops. And I was so embarrassed that I never shoplifted again. I was just like, <laughs> you were ashamed. Oh my God. Yeah. I was, I was fucking ashamed of myself. Like I, I was just thinking like, man, I can't, I can't do this. But when we were like, you know, first starting, we would, we would do a fair amount of touring in, in the Midwest. I think in our first year being a band, we played Cleveland something like, I don't know, 10 times. So like we were out in that general region of, of the country a lot. So we were always at, at you know Meyer trying to get food with the meager earnings that we had. So our our drummer would take his like Ar Arcteryx like big winter jacket thing, mm -hmm. and he would go into Meyer and he would throw <laughs> like a um, a loaf of bread in the hood, and then a bunch <laughs> of like cold cuts and mayonnaise and other bullshit in his like pockets, and he would just walk out with literally like a little sandwich making sh operation. And we would just sit in the car and eat free sandwiches. That was like how we how we ate on those early tours because we just had no we knew no one was going to see us. We had like no money, you know. It was like <laughs> it's, so. if it makes you feel any better, my wife who thinks that buying produce is bullshit will uh, spend it. She'll she'll do bogo stuff like it'll be like oh I have five peppers but I'm playing pain for one <laughs> and shit like that. Like she's just like I in the day and age of bridge cards and shit like that. I work way too fucking hard to for the shit they just throw away so fuck it i'm gonna like stick it to the man i i read an interview with um fuck who was it it was some hardcore band but they were kind of like one of the left-leaning just like leninist leaning band and i forget what they were called but they would talk about how the state is executing a form of social violence against its people by making food unavailable so they they like they would shoplift as like a protest or, or so they would say. And I thought that I always thought that was really funny. Like that's a really funny way of looking at it. Like the social contract with the state is that it protects its citizens and enables them to live. And by withholding food for money, you are 
you know, basically extorting your citizens. So they would go in all these grocery stores and just liberate people from the shackles of paying for groceries or whatever. But it was, uh, I, I always got a kick out of that. I was like, that's a really interesting way to justify the fact that your band isn't drawing, so you're shoplifting food. Like, let's just call it what it is. Nothing wrong with that. Just call it what it is. Oh, man. That's funny, though. But yeah, so it, it's equally hard to explain what Wawa, Wawa is. And so a lot of times I'll just be like, um, it's kind of like Meyer in a gas station. And then they're like, well, Meyer has gas stations. I'm like, yes, they do. But it's not <laughs> the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, unless it's just one of those things, you'll have to trust me that it's awesome. And plus, like, their sandwich making uh, kiosk thing is fucking rad. Yeah, everybody really likes it. I mean, I guess, I guess I'm at the point where I really think overall wawa is like a pretty bad choice for food because like well no one it. no one goes to wawa being like oh where, where can i get the pinnacle of healthy food <laughs> <laughs> or, or even just like pretty good food on a consistent basis because let me tell you when you when you go you know i don't know what enough times like uh, the percentage hood is against you that you're always going to get good food right so like yes. <laughs> Man, I, I ate there not that long ago because they do this thing called Hoagie Fest where they, yep. they do five dollars. Yeah, you know Hoagie. So yeah. I got some sandwich. I was like, oh, let me try this fucking chicken sandwich or whatever. Dude, it was it was vile, inedible. It was terrible. And after that, I've been kind of off on Wawa's hoagie making products. <laughs> but I will say that their, uh, the meatball hoagie there is is always real good. The meatballs. Strong oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I typically only go with things that I know you can't fuck up as far as like heating them to the right temperature and yeah, won't make me sick. <laughs> that's the move you want to go with. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how we got on this, but <laughs> it's fine. I, I love talking about East Coast specific things. I mean, that's like someone posted about friendlies the other day. And I was like, holy fuck, I haven't been to a friendlies in so long. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, again, that's a thing where people just don't, if you're not from the East Coast, you just don't fucking know. Friendly's is pretty good, man. The milkshakes are dope. Yeah, I used to always get that like clown children's Sunday, like where they flip it all upside down and make a clown face out of it. Ah, the cone head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Classic. As I say, outside of that, I think the only other thing I've really I really fucking miss, and this will probably be one of my last like stupid stories and I'll let you go, is uh so I had randomly got a hold of Fred Mascherino after he left Taking Back Sunday. Uh, he was mm-hmm. doing a small run with uh, Terrible Things. And he hits me up, and I was like, oh, I'd like to try to book a show for you guys. And he was like, well, we actually need a fill date. Like, it was literally like talking on a Sunday. He's like, on like Thursday. And he's like, so we only need like, you know, blank amount of money. Like, it was super small amount. And then oh. finally, uh, we it panned out, and like, it was really weird because he called me just to kind of get a sense of like who I was, I guess. And I, I don't know. But like he ended up calling me while I was like playing with my dog, which was a trip because I was like, who the fuck is this? And then talking <laughs> to an hour for him with him. And I was like, holy shit, this is really crazy. Uh, and he's like telling me all this crazy information that I was like, you don't even know who the fuck I am. And you're just telling me like some of the inner workings of like taking back Sunday shit and all that. <laughs> like, This is weird. Uh, and what is my life? And then when his phone died, I was like, all right, well, there was that. Now I'm going to go to the bar and go have dinner with my wife and have some drinks. And then he like calls me back. I'm like, I'm at the bar. And so he's just like, we're texting. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is fucking crazy. So as I got drunk, I was like, Hey man, you want to bring me some Hertz potato chips? Cause all we have out here is like the bullshit ketchup flavored ones. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I never got a reply back. And then when I looked at it the next day, I was like, oh, what an asshole I am. Why did I even do that? And then, uh, so he shows up at the venue it wasn't even a venue. It literally was a bar that just had places for bands to play. Um, 
And he comes back in with like a grocery bag full of uh, Hearst potato chips. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then I was even more like thinking about it. I was like, man, he's so nice. And I was like, Fred from Taking Back Sunday brought me Hearst potato chips. (laughs) 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 Like, this is fucking weird. And Um, I almost didn't eat them. Yeah, I would have probably framed those. (laughs) It was an interesting night of a lot of weird shit where I was like, I... The last time I saw him was playing to like a shed uh, on the Project Revolution tour right before he ended up leaving the band and just how unhappy he looked. And I was like, and he's playing to like 20 people in this bar who are stoked to be there and he's having a good time and it sounded really good and he had a great time and it was it was a really interesting span of a week and a great story. But it was still one of those <laughs> things the whole time I was just like, like when he was kind of dipping a little bit into the Taking Back Sunday set that he had written. I was like, holy fuck, like you were playing in front of thousands of people and now I'm oh, giving yeah. you a hundred dollars to play in front of twenty <laughs> and you brought me hers potato chips. Like, this is crazy. I mean th- th- you know that that gets back to what we talked about earlier, like the sort of fickleness of underground music, right? Like it I mean, listen, he, there wouldn't have even been a demand for him to play for those twenty people if he hadn't been taking back Sunday, right? Oh, for like, sure. It's like that's that's a nice little built-in part of it, but it's odd that you can go from being in a band like Taking Back Sunday, where you know you're one of the headliners that like rock on the range. You you can like <laughs> ostensibly play really high up at like something like a Hellfest or even like a Lala fucking Palooza. But when you leave the band and go off to do your own thing, it's like you're not at that Foo Fighters level where it's like, well, guaranteed you're going to be able to pay your bills off of this, right? It's like well, it's kind of fucked up, actually. And I guess this will actually be the last question because this this actually is a really good thing from what we were talking about. Because you had said something earlier about how people were like, oh, it's, you know, someone from Structures, someone from Counterpart, so on and so forth. I'm one of those people that follows people from the big band to the smaller Mm -hmm. side project thing. I mean, case in point, uh, I remember booking uh, the band with Knives and it was Joe Trillman from Fall Out Boy. And uh, at the time, Josh Newton was still an ETID. Um, so, I mean, at that, that point, like they were in pretty big bands, the damn things had just got done doing a tour, uh, with Volbeat. So, I mean, like it was a big enough, the names themselves carried enough weight that like when they did this project, I was like, all right, well, this should garner enough attention to like, you know, do decently well. Sure. And so they hit me up cause I had been trying to get them and they were like, well, we had a date fall through, we can do this date. And so I put them with a friend's band at a coffee shop in Holland and <laughs> I think like the promoter was like, I'll add them, but I'll only give them like they wanted. I think it was like 150. So the guy was like, I'll give them 25. The other band was like, we'll split the rest of it with with me and we'll give them our guarantee and a little bit more. And then like, you know, I'll pay them because I wanted to see them. So it was like one of those things like the band and myself, the other band and myself were like, we want We'll pay it just so we can see it. Yeah. And it was really weird to see them like pull out of a van we literally handed them the money before they even played. We're like, Hey, here's your money. And they were like, really? Like, wait, there's not enough people here for this. And it's like, Oh, well we, we just pitched in and paid like, just so you guys can come play. And they were like, so astounded by that, that it was, it was still weird to me that it's like, I having instances like that or the, the Fred thing with terrible things that people don't follow the other bands. Even if you know, that band, that person in the band is super huge. And it's yeah. really weird to see that, or even something like with Stu from Comeback Kid, like when they were doing uh, 
shit, not Tall Tales, the uh, Low Talker. I remember oh, seeing yeah. them play another bar with somebody else. I can't remember who that was like kind of a bigger side project band. Uh, I think it was Living with Living with Lions or something like that. And there was like five people. And it's like, but it's people from this band and this band and this band. Like, why aren't there more people here? And then it, you kind of realize as you go to enough of these shows like that, that the name doesn't matter. So yeah. I've been pleasantly surprised that there's been enough uh, interest in your guys' band, given the nature of me seeing so many people, especially in this genre of music, not really caring the member, like the band itself. It's like, well, that band is that band and I like that band but you take away those members that make that that band and then you take one person and throw them in something else. I'm not as interested anymore. And so to see yeah. that, that that has actually carried over for you for you all for this project has been pretty surprising from my perspective, having those personal experiences of seeing bands like this not do very well. Typically. I mean, I, I think we're, we're all pretty surprised by it too, to be honest. Like, I think... I, I don't know. I, you, it's like you kind of know that some kids are going to care, but then you you sort of know that like I don't know how how much is that really going to have an impact, right? Like it's it's know. very possible that yeah I don't know. Well, I can We're, see I can see the management side of things. Like, well, it has members of this band, which has forty three thousand likes on Facebook and so many views on YouTube, and and, <laughs> and these are the selling points that people send me <laughs> when they're trying to have me book their band. So it's right. like I could imagine getting this band and being like. Well, I mean, like, I would probably pay a certain amount just to see this myself, and maybe some others would too, but it's interesting grown adults talking about Facebook likes and something like this when it comes to promoting a new band, and it's like, it's, it's kind of disgusting. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's just, I guess that's just part of, like, what happens when hardcore gets big enough that, like, there is, like, legitimate musical interest in, like, a an act, um, and that's... It is what it is, man. I mean, I, I'm cool with that. I'm comfortable with it. It's been a thing that I've experienced and seen before, and it, it doesn't bum me out. It does make me a little bit, I don't know. I don't like to compete with other people, um, but once in a while when I see something, like yesterday I checked how many uh, views our, our video had on, on YouTube, and it was like 23,000 in like one day, and I was like, fuck, that's... That's really good, I think. I don't know. <laughs> so, like, when I see stuff like that, I get psyched. And that's, like, the positive end of it. It's, it's like, well, here's a metric that I know is, like, pretty good. And then I see something, you know, maybe another band does that or better. And you get a little bit jealous or whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to use that shit against other bands. And I don't want to use that shit against myself as some way of being like, well, you guys did good, but they did gooder. Like, who fucking cares? You know, like... <laughs> At the end of the day for us, and for me in particular, I can say the most important thing is just like having fun playing music that's like authentic and honest and just shredding with my friends. Like if this band does that and we just release records with integrity, we stay out of the politics of it. You know, that's something that George from Blacklist had taught me a long time ago. He was like, yo, you're, you're, uh, I hate to use gender to kind of talk here, but you're, you're a man when you can stand on your own. Um, and when you can kind of like do your own fucking thing, like when you rely on kissing ass at hardcore shows to get your band on the package tour, when you like blatantly are like trying to just suck up to these bands, like that's when the shit is, that, that's what's wrong with the shit. And if you're just going to like play and let the riffs do the, do the kind of talking for you, mm -hmm. like 
that's what I've always tried to done. I think our, our band is going to do that. And as long as we do that stuff, man, I don't give a fuck how many views we get. I don't give a fuck how many Facebook likes we get. And if someone else needs that to validate booking our band, then fine, whatever, we'll play ball. But like, for the most part, for me to be happy with it, I just want us to be the heaviest fucking band ever. And as long as we do that, I think I'm pretty happy. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to uh, in this conversation. I actually think this is now going to be it's just its own its own thing, <laughs> just because nice. of how long it's been. And it's, this is more or less what a pot like the podcast I like, where I have no notes and it just goes wherever the fuck it goes. So yeah, I mean, I think there was some definitely like good stuff in there. So well, I mean, the Wawa shoplifting, <laughs> the Meyer <laughs> shoplifting was great. Yeah, I mean, maybe don't you know. You can include that, but maybe don't play it for anybody who works there or something. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know fucking anyone that works in any of these places. <laughs> I'm not going to tag them. <laughs> Dude, that would be so good. Hey, Meyer, interesting, uh, interesting podcast here. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for your time. And uh, I guess, as, as always, where can uh, people find you if they would like to follow you across the various social media platforms that there are nowadays? Um, the only social media that I have is Instagram. Uh, I deleted everything else just cause like, I felt like the, the other was, were all kind of a, just like a time suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, which is of course not to say that Instagram isn't, but I like looking at pictures and I like taking pictures. So it feels a little easier for me, but, um, yeah, my Instagram is just my name at J Pepito. And if you are into uh, hair. My hair Instagram is at jcutshair. Um, it's pretty new because I've only been doing it about a year, but there's some shit on there if you want to see. You're welcome to check that out too. Maybe uh, 18 Visions will give you a call, kind of <laughs> fill in the fill base. <laughs> I wouldn't be bummed about that. Actually, um, I go to school with Kevin from Old Wounds. Okay. So there is this like niche community of people in like punk rock and like hardcore and metal who like also do hair and oh yeah that was like a big like element of my decision to like leave my sort of like old career behind and 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 do this instead was i liked that there were so many like creative like-minded sort of like punk rock people in it and i felt very comfortable in it it wasn't like trying to put on a suit and tie every day and like sit in board meetings with neck tattoos like that that was not (laughs) super that was a little weird for me so this is like definitely cool it was actually one of the few career fields i was looking at going into for a while yeah it's a good one man i mean great money really good flexibility and you're like creatively solving problems building stuff all day you get to work with tools which is like really fucking fun you know i just don't know if uh i don't know if i could cut my fingers as much as it's gonna warrant (laughs) (laughs) you know i I don't do it that much. Um, cut your fingers or... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, I I think I've only really, like, cut my finger once. Um, every now and then you kind of, like, get pretty close. But, you know, you just got to be... Oh, fuck. You just got to be <laughs> careful and do your thing and, you know. Well, it's been uh, awesome chatting with you, and hopefully people will follow you across that and the uh, new record. Hopefully by the time this goes up, uh, the announcement will be made. Uh, when it is in the pre-orders so go get that hopefully it's going to be on vinyl i think greg said it was uh, so. so hopefully i can maybe snag a test press off of one of you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully i can snag a test press i don't know we'll see well there you go well thank yeah. you for your time and uh we'll chat soon yeah man thanks for the interview i uh i really enjoyed it so that was my chat with jay Papito of end formerly of rain supreme and a few other bands as you heard listed in there 
Uh, I'm going to kind of wrap this up since uh, that chat and the intro that I did was a little bit long. Uh, if you would like to pre-order N's new EP, uh, From the Unforgiving Arms of God, it comes out on September 8th via Good Fight Music. You can pre-order the record. Uh, I don't know if they are sold out of the actual vinyl. I know they are pretty close per one of Greg's posts uh, as of a f about a week ago. Uh, but you can still do pre-orders for the CD and so forth over at goodfight.merchnow.com backslash catalogs backslash end. Uh, if you are also in the East Coast of the United States, you can check uh, N's first two record release shows. Uh, the first is on September 8th when the record comes out over at the Webster Underground in Hartford, Connecticut with Stray from the Path. And the very next night they're playing at Revolution in Long Island, New York, uh, September 9th with Stray from the Path as well. Uh, I would imagine they are going to play all of the EP, I would imagine. Might even get a cover or two. Uh, don't know what you're going to get, honestly. Like That's the fun thing of going to see a new band that has a very limited amount of music out. Uh, you never know what songs you're going to get. Might be one of the only times you get to see this band in a live setting. So if you are out on the East Coast, please go see these shows and support this band. And uh, Straight from the Path are no slouches themselves. Uh, you'll have a great time seeing those guys. Uh, if you would like to follow Jay, uh, the only way you really can is uh, at Jay Pepito on Instagram. That's J-A-Y-P-E-P-I-T-O. Uh, if you would like to follow End, you can do such at your fucking end. Uh, while you're throwing out likes and follows and such on socials, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Johnson Title Podcast, all one word. Johnson Title Pod at gmail.com if you want to email me. And Twitter, I've uh, been a little bit more active on that. Uh, Johnson Title Pod. That's all you got to do. Uh, the other big thing when doing anything for this podcast, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, starting to notice the YouTube subscriptions picking up, the views picking up, noticing uh, some people are rating the podcast on, I think it's called Apple Podcasts now, but basically iTunes. Um, so basically just keep doing all those things. Uh, it really helps you know, kind of move the needle as far as people being aware of the podcast as a whole. When I submit to do interviews uh, with other band people uh, that I've been going after, their management uh, looks at these things, looks at the numbers. So if they know that I can uh, get some eyes and ears on these things, that definitely helps uh, get some of these bigger guests that I'm trying to get. And without further ado, I'm basically going to end the episode as I always do with a song. And since there's only one end song, which is Usurper, and I played that uh, last week to end the episode with Greg and Andrew, uh, I figured I would go with some Reign Supreme, because I've actually been going back and listening to that band a little bit more, because uh, I, as I was saying in the interview with Jay, I uh, have been going to the gym a little bit more, and usually just look for really aggressive music that makes me feel like pushing my body to as much as I can uh, to get in better shape so usually loud aggressive music uh keeps me motivated to to move at a a pretty quick pace so without uh further ado this is rain supreme with the hopelessly devoted it's off of their 2013 ep sky burial so we will end with this and i will talk to you guys next week Yeah.
Don't die.